Welcome to the teaching ministry of Walt East, lead chaplain at Sky Valley Chapel. We hope this teaching will serve as a practical guide for your daily walk as a Christ follower. We encourage you to follow along with your Bible and life notes, which can be found in the podcast show notes or on our website at svmin.com. The risk has been weighed and calculated. Every man has sworn to complete this mission regardless of the consequences, regardless of the cost. The door, it's got to be hit with force once, and that's going to be the first obstacle. Once you're through that and and make it quick, all the sound is going to be echoed off the cobblestone and off the brick walls up and down the street. At this time of night, the storefronts will be darkened and closed, and people will be sleeping upstairs. Get in, get out. Take anything valuable, throw it in the bags, make sure all the files and the records are are thrown in the middle, and then set the whole place on fire. Move quickly in darkness. Grab what you can, burn everything else, and move. It was the reinforced door that, that proved to be a more formidable opponent than they expected. It wasn't one hit of force. It took them a second, a third, a fourth, and it had to be hit repeatedly until the hinges weakened, and then it it finally fell, and the noise must have been what alarmed the guards up the street. Now having to move much quicker inside, grabbing just a few things, setting everything on fire, by the time they got out, there's opposition. This wasn't expected, but still they had their daggers at their side. The weapon of choice for guerrilla warfare in the first century Palestine. It'll make quick work of those who stand in the way. And the odds of one Roman soldier surviving his wounds and and being able to identify you two days later, that was unfortunate. And now you and your companions are sitting in a cell waiting for execution is one thing. Waiting for crucifixion, well, that's another. The pain of crucifixion starts the moment you know that you're heading there. It's why for centuries crucifixion was the tool of choice. It wasn't just the way you died, it was the prolonged agony and the public spectacle in front of everyone else. For centuries before Jesus, people were using crucifixion. The first recorded to use it were the Persians. After that, Carthaginians, then the Macedonians. 300 years before Jesus was crucified, Alexander the Great reportedly crucified 2,000 men on one afternoon on crosses after he sacked the city of Tyre in modern Lebanon. It's brutal. It's humiliating. And if you grew up in Sunday school like like I did, you saw pictures of Jesus up on the cross with a a loincloth. No one in recorded history ever had a garment on while being crucified. It it was meant to humiliate. It was meant to deter. You're beaten, you're stripped naked, you're bludgeoned, and it takes hours before you expire. The men sit in a cell knowing the cross is coming. They're guilty. There's no, no doubt about it. There's no way out for them. But for one named Barabbas, the impossible is going to happen on this day. And regardless of what he's sentenced to and and where he knows he's going, he will walk away a free man at the end of this story. 
And where his life intersects the Jesus story is where you and I look today and find out where our life intersects the Jesus story. We're in Mark chapter 15. If you look at the top of your life notes, we've spent 46 Sundays, 46 weeks in the book of Mark. We're approaching the book's end. I think I've got two more messages after, after this one. Mark chapter 15, verse 1. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin reached a decision. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. The chief priest accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply. And Pilate was amazed. You might want to circle that on your life notes there. Pilate was amazed. This is, this is real people, real time, real places. And, and when we read scripture, we, we shouldn't just read it in a dry way, just okay, I've got this is the assigned reading for this day in my, in my devotional and all, and let me get through it. We should enter into the scene, we should go into the passage. We need to take this in. It's, it's not just vowels and consonants on paper. The Bible invites us to enter in with all the sound and all the scenes and all the smells. And so I want to picture Pilate. You know, he's got his, he got his, he's got his little throne up here. He's got this place where he's, where he's going to rule for this time being. You'll see it's temporary, as we'll talk about in a minute. You know, I've probably seen too many Roman movies. You know, the old, the old ones, the good old ones. Uh, so, so he's wearing a white tunic. And he's got a cool gold belt around, around his midsection. He's got some little kind of garland or wreath stuff up in, in his hair. And, he, and he's got wine. I don't care what time of the day it is. If you're a Roman leader, you've got a, a wine glass in your, in your hand. That's how you rule if you're, if you're Roman. And a lot of other guys are around him too. Assistants. And they're wearing white robes as well. And, and then you always have the guards. You have the cool Roman soldiers. You know, these guys are... They look like Terminator, you know, from first first century. They're wearing chest plates, and they have helmets. They have some weapons. And these guys, they have that square-cut jaw. You know, they look on their faces that say, you don't want to mess with this. And you've got to understand now, though, why is Pilate in Jerusalem? No Roman official wants to live in Jerusalem. But Pilate's assignment is there in Palestine, and and Jerusalem is 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 a hot, dirty, high, elevated rock of a city. Not much beautiful there, but it does have spiritual significance for the Jews. But Pilate's not Jewish. You know where Pilate lives? He lives in Caesarea Maritima on the coast, the Mediterranean coast. That's where his house is, the the blue and green water of the Mediterranean. That's where the Roman governor has his palace and his court. So why is he in Jerusalem? Did you forget what week it is? It's Passover week. Tens of thousands of tens of thousands of Jews are gathering in the city. People are camped in the valleys and on the hillsides. And if you're governor of that territory and the territory that you govern, all these people are coming together in the capital city, you better be there. Because here's what Rome wants. Rome wants resources, money, and no problems. Give us problems, we'll find a new governor pilot. That's easy to do. So if you've got an entire country showing up and, and they're bent on nationalism, they have this nationalistic streak. They're chanting about freedom, this, this fervor about 
being redeemed from bondage. That's what Passover is all about. We talked about that last week. And this is, you know, they're looking at how God worked in the past, and they're yearning for that. You're going to set up camp if you're the governor. You're going to set up camp in Jerusalem that week because you need to keep your eye on things. Far be it that something happens, and Caesar says, well, well, I was over on the coast enjoying the sunshine. You're gone. And so Pilate is sitting there, and, and they bring Jesus before him, and they bring the charge, and he says, so they say you're the king of the Jews. And Jesus replies, as you say. Pilate's like, well, it's not what I say. I'm not a Jew. I don't care. And Jesus is like, well, it's as you said. Pilate's like, I'm not saying it. I'm asking it. Never mind. You're confusing. King of the Jews. This hasn't been part of what we've been looking at. What we've read the last few weeks. This isn't what, this isn't what, the, uh, what the religious officials were worried about. The teachers, the ruling part of the Sanhedrin, they don't care about Jesus, you know, this king thing. What they care about is that Jesus claims to be God. He claims to be divine. Over and over and over again, every page, every time he teaches, he claims to be God. He calls himself the Son of Man. I think it's 86 times. Now, that's a problem if you're a spiritual leader. You've got someone under the charge of blasphemy, if that's the case, one who claims to be God. And in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, your law, the law of Israel, this is claimed to be equal to God or to be God. This is punishable by death. But the, the punishment of death has been taken out of your hands because you're under Roman occupation. Only Rome can put people to death. And if he claims to be God, that's what he's guilty of before the, the religious leaders. But they can't say that to Pilate. Pilate doesn't, he doesn't care. Can you imagine Pilate sitting in his gold, his robe and his gold thing there and, you know, we'll say, so why you got this guy here? Well, he claims to be God. Who cares? Some Galilean peasant comes and, and says he's God. Get out of here. Rome doesn't care what he says he's God. That's a spiritual issue. That's part of your, that's up for you. No, 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 no. Here, here's the charge. He claims to be king of this area. Oh, you want to get Rome's attention? That just happened. Rome's got an issue with anybody other than Caesar who claims to be king. That is treason. And that is punishable by Rome by death. And yet, as we read this story, it, it says that Pilate sits here, and he's amazed at this guy. It says the Pharisees, the chief priests, the teachers, the Sanhedrin, they, they bring up all kinds of charges, and the story is, is recorded in Matthew. It's all, also recorded in, in Luke and John, as well as the Mark that we're looking at, all four of the Gospels. They talk about the charges. This guy's inciting Galileans to follow him. He's claiming to be God. He says, you don't have to pay taxes. He's talking about this temple. He's talking about tearing this temple down here in Jerusalem. And Pilate's listening to all this, and it's kind of like, you know, remember Charlie Brown? <laughs> He's like, you and your religion? I don't care. Talk to the hand. But he takes his gaze off of the prosecution, and he's looking at Jesus, and he's amazed. Are you going to answer any of this? You see, Pilate isn't some small court magistrate. Pilate doesn't handle misdemeanors. When something is, is brought before Pilate, everything is on the line. Every time a, a case reaches the level of Pilate, your defendant is pleading, begging, arguing, fighting for their life, fighting for their family, fighting for their land. By the time you reach the level of being in front of Pilate, 
Oh, it's serious. It's life or death. This is the last chance, the last breath that you have if you're going to have life. Not this guy. Don't you care about the accusations? And Jesus doesn't say a word in his defense. Why not say anything? Why not even more? Tell him about God. Why not even let, let Pilate know your plan to save the world, Jesus? Well, we need to realize that Jesus' defense is not here. Jesus' defense happened eight hours ago. Not, not in front of the, the chief priests and the, and, and, the, and the religious leaders. Not in the mock kangaroo t- trial that was held. Jesus' defense was in the garden the night before. Where he stayed up all night praying to the Father. Father, if there be any other way, take this cup from me. Is there any other way to save Walt? Is there any other way to save those people that are going to be sitting in chapel in Sky Valley in the new year 2023? That was his defense. And when God made it clear to Jesus that there's no other religion, no other belief, no other way, no book that tells Walt he can be good enough, either Walt takes the cross or you do. He stops his defense. You know why Jesus isn't defending himself at his own trial? Because he knows that he has to defend you and me. And he has to take the cross. And Pilate is amazed. No one has ever stood in front of him like this. Verse 6. Not was the custom at the feast to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Now, unfortunately, we don't have more about this man, Barabbas. I'm going to talk about his name in a few minutes. But Mark is writing to a contemporary crowd. You know, he's saying, you know who was in prison that day? Barabbas, you know, you remember the guy that was involved in the insurrection there in, in Jerusalem? And he expects the, 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 the people reading his gospel to know who he's talking about. 2,000 years removed as, as we are, we don't know what he's talking about. And I, in my imagination, went back into town and, and tried to follow Barabbas and his, and his little gang of insurrectionists and, and, and see, you know, what, what, might, what might have happened that night. What'd you guys do? Did you, did you knock over a, a tax office in the dead of night? Did you try to destroy all the tax records and cause confusion and chaos in the record keeping? Confusion and chaos, those are weapons of, of anarchy. Was the reinforced door more than what you thought it would be, Barabbas? And by the time you set things aflame, were there soldiers there? How were you recognized? Should have worn a, a mask. Josephus, the great Jewish and Yet Roman historian writes of insurrectionists at the time of Jesus. He uses the same term, the, the synonym for the Sicarii, a group of Jewish radicals who would, who would use a sicca as like a, it's a dagger. It's, a, it's about yay long. And, and they would use this, this sicca to, to assassinate Roman and then Jewish leaders who collaborated with Rome. Jews who had turned against their own people, people like the tax collectors. And they often did this during festivals in Jerusalem where, where Jerusalem was filled, you know, wall to wall, shoulder to shoulder with, with worshipers. And it was so overcrowded. And they would mingle in the crowd and, and they would strike their victims. And then they would blend in with the crowd and disappear. Josephus simply calls them murderers. Is that what you did, Barabbas? 
Did you have a list of people, that, a hit list for this Passover? Are you going up and identifying and shanking people in the crowd and then disappearing? Did you try to burn down the tax office? I'm not quite sure of the story, but in any event, he's sitting there waiting for his cross. And it's the custom at this Passover for, for Pilate to release a prisoner. Now, we don't have a record of this in history other than four biblical accounts. And a lot of people would go, well, that's preposterous. Why would, why would Rome do such a thing? Why would they release a prisoner to accede to the crowd? And then if you look at it and you think about what was going on in Jerusalem, a capital city filled with multiplied tens upon tens thousand people, a crowd that is demanding freedom, demanding nationalism, a crowd that is gathered for a holiday called Passover, when your people were freed from bondage, freed from slavery, when you were set free. This is a great time for Pilate to throw him a bone, for him to quell the crowd, to, to release someone from slavery, someone from bondage. He could use some chips in the bank during this time like this. And it was a custom to release a prisoner. So people had showed up early at Pilate's house. These aren't the Galilean peasants from, from Nazareth, from the hillsides up there that, that, that earlier chanted, come with power, come with power, save now, save now. This is the city folk. This is Barabbas' supporters. These are the people that have an allegiance to Barabbas. They're, they're, these are the ones that understand the insurrectionists, that have to deal with, with so many Romans around them all the time. And they're in the crowd asking Pilate to do what he usually does. Verse 9. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate, knowing it was out of envy that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call king of the Jews, Pilate asked them. So he basically says, you want someone released? How about, how about the king of the Jews? I got no problem with this guy. He's the king of the Jews. Give him back to the Jews. Knowing it was out of envy. And by the way, you religious leaders, he, you know, I, I see right through your prosecution. You guys in your great robes, you guys with all your spiritual accusations, I know what the problem is. The crowds are chanting for this guy. I know what the problem is. The, the crowd follows this guy. In your own temple courts, he has a bigger crowd than you do. It's envy. You hate this, don't you? He came to be God, but he's not the type of God that you want. Pilate says, I know what's going on here. So what if I just release the king of the Jews? But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas. So what shall I do then with the one that you call king of the Jews? Verse 13. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him! Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Three times in Matthew and Luke, Pilate pleads the innocence of Jesus. He says, I got no problem with this guy. This guy's done no crime. Why don't we just release him? And the people keep saying, crucify, crucify him. And now Pilate's caught in a bind. He has moved for a short time. He's moved his house and his headquarters from his comfortable place there on the ocean, on the Mediterranean Sea, down to Jerusalem. Uh, he's down there to make sure that a riot doesn't, doesn't break out on his watch. Rome does not like riots. And now he's inciting a riot. Rome's going to take away his governorship. Rome's going to take away his area. 
So he has to give the crowd what they want. And yet Luke makes it very clear. Luke talks about Pilate going to a a bowl and, and washing his hands of this. He's saying, guys, I'm washing my hands. I'm not going to make a decision one way or another. I'm done. It's up to you. You could say that um, Pilate's kind of having a bad day, don't you think? You know, what makes it worse is Matthew tells us in his gospel that during, in the midst of this trial, he's delivered a note, a letter. Okay, you ever seen that? You know, some guys on the, or gals on the, on the judge's stand and someone walks up and hands them a note and you wonder, what's in the note? Okay, well, this is what happens. In the midst of all these religious people yelling at Jesus and yelling for Barabbas to be freed and all this stuff, and Pilate's saying, I don't, have a, 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 I don't have a problem with him. And he's like, you know, I shouldn't have come to work today. And his assistant says, here, here you go, sir. What's this? You better read it. Who's it from? Just, just read it. And it simply says, I've had terrible dreams about this guy, Jesus. Please don't do anything to him. Signed, Mrs. Pilate. Oh, no. Matthew says that he's written her husband saying, I've been plagued in my dreams about this guy. This is a terrible, no good, horrible day for Pilate at work. Now I can't go home. I'll be sleeping on the couch. And the crowd is crying out during all this, crucify, crucify. And so he's trying to wash his hands of it. I'm not going to say one way or the other. And the next time, we'll look at the next part of Mark chapter 15. But today we're going to stop here at this verse. We spent the last few months talking about religious leaders. So for today, we're just going to set the religious leaders to the side. We've talked enough about them. Now, I want you to take your life notes if you've been looking at them and you're probably still looking at first blank saying, wait, he hasn't given us anything yet. But today we're going to look at the commander, the crowd, and the con. The commander, the crowd, and the con. So let's look first at the commander, at Pilate. Pilate knew the right title and the right testimony of Jesus, didn't he? Pilate knows the right title and the right testimony. He knows he's king of the Jews. He's been hearing the stories of Jesus, and Scripture doesn't necessarily tell us that, but, but listen, I bet, you know, if he knows, if he's a smart leader, he knows what's going on around, around the, the land there. He's heard stories of Jesus. It's a small region. It's not that big. And John says that he'll stop his trial and, and then he'll, he'll make Jesus go see Herod for a little bit. And Herod is happy to see Jesus. Herod's been waiting, anticipating getting to meet Jesus. And Herod listens to him, says, I don't have a problem with him. Go back to Pilate. And so Jesus is ping-ponged back and forth between the two. They'd all heard about Jesus. They'd heard about his social media. You know, the social media moved a little bit slower back then, okay? Um, they knew the hits Jesus was getting, the likes. Jesus was trending, as they would say today. And and Pilate has seen this, and he knows the title, he knows the testimony. But here's where Pilate goes wrong, because he feared the crowd more than Christ. He feared the crowd more than Christ. It says in verse 15, wanting to satisfy the crowd. See, the crowd is about to interfere with his popularity. It's about to interfere with his reputation. It's about to uh, interfere with his livelihood. It may cause him to have that taken away from him. So he fears the crowd more than he does Christ. And so he has to make a decision. Let me ask you a personal question. How passionate are you when it comes to the crowd? You see, this is where Peter found himself the night before, warming himself by the fire and around the Roman guards, trying to come back to to, the Jesus trial. And, And what happened? Peter feared the crowd far more than Christ. 
And he will deny him not once, not twice, but three times. He'll deny the disciple, even curse, bring curses on himself, the fact that he's a Christ follower. When we fear the crowd, it's easy for us to slip into this. And when we fear the crowd more than Christ, then what happens, number three, is we choose the safe way over the right way. We choose the way that's going to cause less friction. This is going to cause less damage to me, my reputation, my pride, my position, maybe my income. And so for the sake of those things, uh, I, I can just put Christ off to the side right now and follow the crowd. You see how easily we play the role of Pilate? Oh, you know, we, we've seen the responses of the people to Jesus for the past 15 chapters. For 15 chapters, we've seen the responses to Jesus. We've seen people that were amazed, like Pilate is here. We've had people that were overwhelmed. For 15 chapters, we've had people that have undying devotion for Jesus, that pledge to follow him. We've seen people that fear him. And we have in the last few chapters, as we look to the religious leaders, we've seen people that hated him. You know what response you will not find in the Bible towards Jesus? You will not find indifference. We will not find what is called in today's society a polite neutrality. You will not find people going, oh, well, that's good for you if you want, but, but I just I don't, I don't want to make a decision on it. Jesus will force you to make a decision. It's what we've been talking about ever since we started so many weeks ago with the breaks for summer in, in between there. You know, Mark's gospel, I told you at the very beginning when we started in October of 2021, that you're going to be forced. Mark's gospel is going to force you. Is he man or is he myth? Is he Messiah or is he just some, some guy that's deluded? Is he king or isn't he? There's no middle ground. And we're going to see that snowballing here over the last couple messages. You can't wash your hands and say, look, I'm just not deciding on him. I'm, just, I'm not going to play the role. I'm, maybe at the end we find out I'm just not making a decision right now. It's not an option in the story. It's not an option in our story. Philippians 2 says that there is a day that before the throne of God, every knee will bow on earth, above earth, below earth. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every. That means every. You know what? There won't be in front of the throne of God a hand-washing station. There won't be a place for those who go, well, I just want to wait to decide. I just want to put off. You know, when, when you make a decision not to decide, guess what? You've made a decision. You basically said, he's not my king. I'm not going to surrender to him. You know the title. You may know the testimony, but you can't wash your hands on this one. So we looked at the commander. Let's look at the crowd. The crowd knew the right title and testimony about you. Wait a minute, Walt. Didn't you use that one already? Yep, that's the point of the story. You've heard me say it before in so many different ways over the last few months. There's a fallacy. It's a, it's a grave error to believe that knowing the right title of Jesus and knowing his story makes you a Christian. Just knowing the story of Christ doesn't make you a Christian. The crowd knows his title. The crowd knows his story. The crowd knows what he's confessed. So, so much that they're even using it against him. Don't tell me, please don't tell me that your Christianity is just that you believe that Jesus was the Son of God, that you believe that he came to earth and died on the cross and rose again. Please tell me that's not what you base your Christianity on. Demons believe that. If you're just getting here this season, those that have been here have heard me say that a couple times in the last few months. Demons believe that. 
James talks about it. Jesus' brother talks about it in his letter. He says they shudder. You know, demons believe all that, but they don't surrender to him. And there will be a time, there will be a day before the throne of God where there is no middle ground. You knew he was king, but you did not let him rule your life. Like he said in Matthew chapter 7, get away from me. I never knew you. You were never under my lordship. You just had a title and a story. You knew about me, but you didn't know me, and I don't know you. On that day, you can't point at our teaching here at Sky Valley and say, but they led me to believe. You know, No, no, no. Surrender. It has to be your response to the gospel, not just knowing what the gospel states. The crowd knew his title. The crowd knew his testimony. But the crowd also chose their culture over Christ. HBO, entertainment, no, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Listen, listen to this. In the first century Judea, who were the cultural icons? In other words, who set culture? Well, what, what do you mean by cultural? I mean what is accepted, what is not accepted. What is moral, what is immoral. What is right, what is wrong. Who were the cultural voices in the first century? Well, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, all those kind of people, the rabbis. They set the culture for all of Israel. And on that day, the cultural icons were saying, go with Barabbas, go with Barabbas. Everybody, go with Barabbas. The crowd's going with the culture. And let me ask you, what voices do you give weight to in your life? When you determine how I do my singleness, how do I do my marriage, how do I do my kids, my finances, my friends, what I watch, what I click on, what voices guide you to, to or what is applauded, does the, does the, what, who you support. Because on this day, the crowd chose culture over Christ. What authorities do you give sway over your life? Culture changes, folks. Wake up. Culture changes, but Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Think about how culture has changed in a lifetime. Just the past 80 to 90 years in America and Canada, what was culturally approved, what was, what was applauded, what was sought after, what was applauded in culture, who we wanted to have elected, that is what we promoted. In one lifetime, what is legal and illegal has changed. Don't be deceived, but let me remind you of something. Something may be legal, but culture cannot dictate Christianity. Only Christ gets to dictate Christianity. Because if culture dictates Christianity, oh man, my world of entertainment options, things for behavior changes tremendously. How I use my finances changes tremendously. And the crowd chooses the voices of culture. So what guides you? Oh, I know Jesus' title. I know his story. But this is what I'm guided by. This, gets, this sets my direction. And so what does the crowd choose when they make that choice? They chose what seemed best to them. And I'm going to take a little diversion here real quickly and tell you in, in, in the book of Proverbs, twice within a couple chapters, some of you have heard me say this before, there's twice within a couple chapters of Proverbs, God repeats the exact same thing. There is a way that seems right to a man or woman that in the end leads to death. There's a way that seems right to a man or woman that in the end leads to death. And so they chose what seemed best for them. They focused on the temporary, not the eternal. Barabbas, Barabbas, give us Barabbas. Why release Barabbas? Well, because Barabbas is paying off for us. 
At least he's done something for us. How many Romans has Jesus killed? Zero? Yeah, that's what I thought. You know, at least, at least, at least Barabbas has taken out some of those dirty Romans. He's killed Romans or, or Roman sympathizers. And you've got to re- re- realize in the this, in this story, Barabbas is like their, their Robin Hood. And, and he, he's killed redcoats, if you want to go back to our revolution. He's a hero. Jesus isn't killing Romans. He's not taking care of all your problems in the way that you want them taken care of. I mean, how long did you pray for the cancer and, and you had more faith in a mustard seed and only to find out that it, it was a very sad memorial service? How many more prayers am I going to just drop in the Jesus slot and, and he doesn't pay off the way I want him to pay off? And it's only a matter of time. You know what does pay off? Barabbas. He gets things done. He's, he's going to fix things. I know that he can fulfill my desires now. I can find things now that will, that will self-medicate. I can find things now that gratify me. And at least now I've got something, even though it may be temporary. Folks, I'm going to say something you probably never heard a pastor say. Sin is fun. Okay? Sin is fun. If it wasn't, why, why, would, we, why would we do it? Sin is a way to gratify self. Sin's a way to fulfill. It's a way to try and find value. It's a way to try and find importance. It's a way to take the easy way out like Pilate did. But the fun of sin is temporary. There's a price to be paid on the other end. You know how hard it is to surrender when it comes to Jesus? It's like, it's like you have to deny yourself and pick up your cross and actually follow him. Sin has some amazing short-term payoff. And I've seen people that, that have tried and they've actually succeeded it for, the, for this lifetime to, to ride the, 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 the ride of sin. Barabbas. Barabbas, Barabbas, a short-term Savior, the Savior that gets me through the week and the Savior that gets me through another lonely night. Oh, it doesn't fix my problem. Barabbas won't conquer Rome, but he'll kill a few Romans along the way. But I'm still left with my issue. You know what the irony is here? The Khan has an Aramaic name, Barabbas. Bar means son of in Aramaic, and there's a lot of bars in the Bible. I mean, there's Barnabas, son of encouragement, the name that I gave my dog because he encourages people, hopefully. Hopefully he doesn't growl at you too much. <laughs> Barnabas, the son of encouragement, the one that, that came alongside Paul and went on Paul's missionary journey with him and helped start those churches, those early church, first early churches in the Mediterranean. We also have this guy named Bartimaeus, the blind guy that was begging along the side of the road, son of Timaeus. We have Bartholomew. You know, he's probably one of the least known disciples. Uh, Bartholomew, son of Tolmai. You know who Barabbas is? Bar-Abba, son of the father. It's kind of interesting here. You have a guy on trial because he claims to be son of God, and the crowd is chanting for son of the father. Son of the Father, you got the wrong Jesus here. Oh, it's going to get you through the weekend. It's going to get you through this relationship slump, but it's going to get you through the lonely nights. But I promise you, you got the wrong Savior when you choose Barabbas. There's nothing eternal about Barabbas. Oh, it's going to take care of some of your Romans, but it's not going to heal Rome. And as we chant today, oh, I know Jesus. I know Jesus the King. I know his story, but I got my Barabbas. You have your Barabbas, and that's good for you. This is good for me. No, it doesn't work. And Barabbas knew that he was guilty. Barabbas knew that he was guilty. Nowhere in this story, in any of the Gospels, do we have Barabbas saying, hey, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. If he tried to, the crowd would say, yes, you did. That's why we like you so much. You're our guy. You're killing the Romans. 
Barabbas is guilty. He doesn't plead his innocence. He knows that he's been caught dead to rights. And he's brought up on stage against the king of the Jews, and the people start chanting his name. They want him. You see, Barabbas had the innocent take his punishment. He's the one that, that, that gets what Jesus is offering. Now, I'm not saying that he was spiritually saved, okay? But he's going to get off the hook because of, because of Jesus. Unbeknownst to him, thinking he's going to a cross, the next thing he knows, click, click, and all of a sudden, the chains drop off of him. And he's like, seriously? Oh, yeah, you can go. Well, well, wait a minute, why? Well, we're letting you go. We're going to take that guy. What did he do? Oh, he did nothing. But he's going to go to the cross. Wow. Why are you killing him? Well, it's, it's complicated. It's complicated. My wife told me not to, but, you know, I, I've got I've to do what I've got to do. And so Barabbas ironically had the innocent take his punishment. And if you ask Barabbas that holiday season of Passover, what was your greatest blessing, Barabbas? I'm not on that. I'm not on that cross. That's the point of the story. Not that you know his title, not that you know the stories. He didn't defend himself so that he could defend you and me. And he could say, Walt, accept this. This cross is what you deserve, but accept my offer of salvation. I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to take your punishment. In return, yes, I will be your king. That's not a title. That's a relationship. That's the place I, I play in your life. Congratulations. You have your life, but you're going to live it for me. And Barabbas walks away a free man. Barabbas walks away free. You ask, well, what happened to Barabbas? I, you know, I'd love to have some, you know, some cool story where you know, he ended up walking away and, 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 and becoming a follower of Jesus, and he sets up a church somewhere down in, in Egypt or some other place of the kingdom, but that, did, that didn't happen. The bottom line is, it's not in the story. That's not the, the, the place that he plays in our life. It's not in the story, and I don't know, maybe, maybe God doesn't tell us because he wants you to come to your own conclusion. It's your decision what you do with this story. But please tell me that your salvation is not based on what you know, on just your head knowledge about him, that he came and he died on a cross and he rose again. If so, welcome, Pilate. Welcome, crowd. Welcome to what demons know. Please tell me that you have a life that says, I know he's king, and every avenue of my life is surrendered to him. Oh, I'm not perfect. I still blow it. Just ask my wife. But I know when I blow it, and I ask forgiveness. And every avenue of my life, I try to show that I have a king who has complete reign over that life. Sovereignty over Walt. Not a culture, not a crowd, but a king. What a story. joining us for this message. For more information on Chapel Mall and the ministry of Sky Valley Chapel, please visit our website at svmin.com. You can support this ministry on our website, Facebook page, or by downloading our app in the Apple or Google Play Store. Have a blessed day!